Well, what a mess in Royal Oak. It's really going to mess up a lot of people's drive today. Northbound 75 at 696. Uh, an asphalt truck caught fire. Not No word on how it actually caught fire, but it caught fire yesterday in the heart of the afternoon drive about 6 p.m., Closing northbound 75 at 696, and this is just a terrible location for this. Not like there's a good uh, location for an asphalt uh, truck fire that closes down the freeway, but um, this also has the ramps to both directions of of, uh, 75 from 696 closed, and um, there's really no ETA on um, when this is supposed to be reopened because now that the fire is out, they have to transfer the asphalt that didn't catch fire to another truck. So um, I don't know if uh, you've got uh, if you have the work from home option and you uh, commute through there. I might exercise it or just call in. You don't want to deal with that on a Friday. So uh, we'll keep an eye out for that. They were hoping to get it reopened by the time the morning rush started. Uh, but time is drawing short for that. Uh, good news, though, uh, out in Macomb County, those uh, 150,000 people under the boil water advisory, that hit was uh, lifted yesterday. If you remember Tuesday, there's that giant water main break, 24-mile road. They ran uh, the second test that came back clean in 24 hours yesterday, and the all-clear happened. So uh, a little good news to mix with your bad news. Uh, yesterday would have been a historic day if it wasn't the third time that uh, it's happened in four months. Of course, I'm talking about Donald Trump. Uh, he went to the courthouse again in Washington, D.C., in connection with uh, the indictment from special counsel Jack Smith, um, where he's accused of trying to overturn the 2020 election. News cameras followed him from New Jersey to the airport, to the airport, to the courthouse, Again, but this time it was in Washington, D.C., not Miami. Uh, Then back again, he went through the secret entrance and exit again. Pled not guilty again. Was told not to talk to witnesses again. Um, And, you know, at this point, this third indictment, it's it's all becoming ho-hum. Next year will kind of mirror this year with trials. You know, the first indictment uh, was shocking because it was the first time it ever happened with a... uh, uh, former U.S. president. Second one was a little more shocking just because of the brazenness of it. And it was federal. Uh, this time it was very uh, subdued. You, you almost uh, you, you, if you turn the TV off for a couple of hours, you, you might have missed it. Um, you know, Donald Trump, he, he did not stop at a bakery and have people sing happy birthday to him this time. He just uh, made a brief statement at the airport. But and then by the time, you know, he faces state charges in Georgia, we're not even going to notice. And then that's what it's going to happen all over again next year with the trials. The first trial in New York will be shocking because it's the first one um, for a, a former president. The second one in Miami will be shocking because it's federal charges. And then by the third and fourth, uh, we'll, 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 we will have forgotten about it. Um, on the other side of the aisle, Republicans releasing a transcript of a uh, interview with key witnesses in the Biden family business dealings, Hunter Biden's uh, former business partner. Fox's Chad Pergram has more on Capitol Hill. The name of the game was the name. 
the Biden family name. Devin Archer said that Hunter Biden used his father to send, quote, the right signals to foreign business operatives. He termed this, quote, the brand. But Archer says it was an illusion of access. Hunter Biden served on the board of Ukrainian energy firm Burisma. Archer said people would be, quote, intimidated to mess with Burisma because of its associations with the brand. Archer said Burisma would have gone out of business if not linked to the Bidens. Terrible story out of Celine yesterday. A uh, domestic uh, domestic incident turned deadly when two, two people were shot in uh, a UAW hall parking lot near an assisted living center. The gunshot victims, uh, a 40-year-old woman, she was walking to her car with a 55-year-old male acquaintance uh, when a 55-year-old gunman uh, began opening fire on, on both of them. Uh, the suspect who um, is believed to be the woman's ex-boyfriend, he was taken into custody after a car accident following a police chase. The female gunshot victim was taken to the hospital where she uh, unfortunately passed away. She has been identified as Amber Joe Thomas. The male gunshot victim is also in the hospital. He's in stable condition. And the driver of the vehicle that the suspect hit in the crash was also taken to the hospital. U.S. Coast Guard uh, responded to uh, up to a 45,000-gallon diesel leak from the hull of a 615-foot 615-foot freighter in Lake Michigan yesterday. A 1.6 long and 200-yard wide red slick was spotted about 1.5 miles northwest of where the Manistee River enters Lake Michigan. The freighter whose hull was breached earlier this week is reportedly no longer leaking fuel. Um, There's been no known impact to the beaches um, and no known impact to drinking water supplies um, None of that has been reported yet. And uh, last check, I couldn't get a clear answer on if the spill was contained. But if if it's not, they were working on it diligently. Two U.S. Navy sailors arrested on charges of sharing sensitive national security information with China. Here's Fox's Kristen Goodwin. 26-year-old Wang Hengzhou of Monterey Park, a petty officer in the U.S. Navy charged with bribery and conspiracy to send military information to China. Mr. Zhao transmitted this information in exchange for payments that totaled approximately $15,000. U.S. Attorney for the Central District of California, Martin Estrada. Jing Chao Wei, a 22-year-old sailor and naturalized citizen based in San Diego, charged with espionage. He is accused of betraying his newly adopted country by stealing national defense information and selling it to his Chinese spymaster. Randy Grossman, U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of California. Officials say the information shared included naval operations. Kristen Goodwin, Fox News. A body has been found stuck to the buoys that were installed by Texas in the Rio Grande, designed to keep migrants from legally crossing the border. This is actually the second one this week. The 1,000-foot floating barrier, complete with netting and spikes, was installed near Eagle Pass back in July under the authority of Governor Greg Abbott. Justice Department is actually suing the state of Texas, saying that the buoys are a threat to public safety and is a violation of federal law that uh, prohibits building anything in waterways without federal approval. Um, And and look, granted, hundreds of migrants drown in the Rio Grande every year before these barriers. Uh, These barriers are barbaric and inhumane. I mean, uh, yeah, I know these people are breaking the law, but, you know, do they deserve to die a painful death in the Rio Grande, it really gives off the impression that Governor Abbott and the people who um, authorized this um, 
don't see these migrants as human beings and and could not care less if they live or die. So um, terrible story. Uh, and uh, for the record, I think the buoy is a terrible idea. Hyundai and Kia are asking owners of a number of 2023 and 2024 models to park their vehicles outside and away from structures as they prepare to recall 92,000 vehicles due to an electric oil pump issue that could result in fires uh, running through the Hyundai vehicles that may be affected, the 2023 Elantra, 2023 Kona, both the 2023 and 2024 Palisade, the 2023 Sonata, and the 2023 Tucson. Uh, Kia models affected are both the 2023-2024 Seltos, and the 2023 Soul, and 2023 Sportage. Uh, now, they note that not every vehicle of the models listed above are affected. So if you drive any of these cars, call your dealerships to verify, and the recall notices will be go- begin going out in September. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. UAW President Sean Fain unveiled a list of what he describes as audacious demands for the Big Three earlier this week, which includes a 32-hour work week, uh, the end of a two-tier wage system, and uh, a 46% wage increase that we learned about yesterday afternoon. Michael Martinez, reporter for Automotive News, talks with Guy Gordon and Lloyd Jackson on JR Morning. Audacious and ambitious. The most audacious and ambitious contract demands made in decades. That's the self-admission of UAW President Sean Fain in, in judging what his team is asking for in their contract negotiations with the Big Three. Uh, interesting, i, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm thinking back... Probably not since UAW President Steve Jokic. Have we seen a guy use his bully pulpit as effectively as Sean Fain has on Facebook and social media? Oh, yeah. He is everywhere, and he does not bite his tongue. And he says he knows that he's the man sound ambitious. But he told the workers, I also know that the big three can't afford him. So we'll see. So let's get a reality check from someone that is watching it with a practiced eye. Michael Martinez is a reporter for Automotive News. Michael, good morning. Thanks for having me. So 32 hours a week, and then he wants a pay increase on top of it. So help me with that equation. He wants workers to work 20% less for the same or greater amount of money. There's autistic, uh, audacious and ambitious, and then there is just outrageous. Uh, give me a reality check on that. Yeah, that was interesting, especially because when Sean Fain listed these demands, he sort of put up 10 bullet points. That 32-hour work week wasn't on there. He just sort of casually mentioned that near the end of his Facebook live stream, answering a worker's questions, saying, oh, yeah, by the way, we're also going to fight for a 32-hour work week. So that was out of left field. Uh, I would have to believe, now, you never say never. This is a reason why you negotiate, you collectively bargain, but... I'm not sure a lot of these are proposals or demands that the automakers uh, would really go for. You could probably categorize at least a handful of them as about as close to a non-starter as you can get. Aside from the hours, I don't think the companies really want to get in the business of adding uh, structural costs back into the system. If you think back to 2007, the Great Recession, when GM and Chrysler were going into bankruptcy and Ford barely avoided it, uh, they were shedding these structural costs. And in some of these proposals, uh, the union's trying to add them back in, things like pensions, things like yeah. COLA, uh, especially the Working Family Protection Program sounds a lot like the jobs back. Well, retiree medical benefits, defined benefit pensions, which the, in most of the private sector has abandoned 
in uh, in deference to 401ks and, and things like that. And you're right. That's recreating the legacy burden that got him in trouble in the first place. Lloyd? Um, uh, Michael, do you think Sean Fain is kind of like shooting for the stars, but then, you know, hoping to get the, the top of the Fisher building? <laughs> that's that's a really good point. You wonder if some of these are just more like wish list items that in a perfect world they would love to have. But from what I've been told, he's very serious about all of these. Now, uh, the issue is whether or not this is creating way too high expectations for the membership. Right. Because there's a, a difference between getting an agreement and getting that agreement ratified. Now, you talked at the top about how great he is about using that bully pulpit. His messaging has been excellent, especially compared to some of the recent UAW leaders. But the more he gets that message out, the more he pumps up the membership and sets their expectations high, the more he sort of paints himself into a corner. Because if he could deliver on, let's say, 70% of this stuff, that would be considered a big win. But if you're a member listening to all these demands, you're probably going to want 100%. And will you vote for a contract that doesn't get everything? That's a big question. Well, and how enlightened is the rank and file now that they've become very fond of these profit-sharing checks from the North American operations that they have received, these record-setting checks? Those that are more economically enlightened know that if you increase that fixed-cost burden, if you drive up that wage rate, those checks are going to shrink. Exactly. Uh, However, at the same time, they also want some other benefits that they used to have, right? Because before the recession, before all the financial trouble, they also had COLA, and they want that back as well. Well, but they're starting wages. I mean, this is an interesting uh, graphic that I saw that says right now they're starting wage, when you're starting at the the first tier, is 18 bucks an hour. Under the 2007 bargaining agreement, it was 1960. It was about a buck 60 higher. And when you adjust for inflation on that 2007 wage, it should be 28. So that's where that COLA thing comes in. They would argue that they are 10 bucks an hour behind where they should be from 2007. 100%. And if you look to try to find some areas of compromise or some areas where the union could probably get a win, it's probably on the wage front. I think the automakers across the board realize that, yeah, we gotta we gotta bump up these wages here uh, compared to what they have been over the past ten years. More than that, and Sean Payne's calling for a double-digit wage increase. We'll see if if that becomes reality, but that's probably an area where you're going to see some movement. You know, also, uh, Michael, I was thinking about the uh, Teamsters and the tentative agreement that. Uh they have with the UPS and some of the things that they receive, like uh, eliminating the, the tiered wage structure and, and, and those types of things. Does that play into this negotiation as well, That what the Teamsters got? And I know UPS is different from the big three, but does that play into negotiations uh, during this, this time? 100%. I think the UAW is looking at what the Teamsters did at UPS as an example. They're also looking at other recent contracts. If you think back to 2021, there was a strike at John Deere. They were able to come to an agreement. Among their gains, they got significant raises, and they also got COLA. And guess who negotiated that John Deere deal? Chuck Browning, who's VP of the Ford Department. So Mm -hmm. some of the same negotiators there. Obviously, Teamsters is a different union uh, with UPS, but but they'll be looking at that as, as sort of a template. We're also seeing this idea of tying a CEO's compensation to a, a an index of what a, a 
factory floor worker would make. We know that European companies and some Asians have been benchmarking the CEO's salary like that. They're pretty upset with Mary Barra's uh, compensation at GM. Is that something that we may see? Well, I think Chongqing's definitely going to use that in terms of the marketing and the strategy to paint these guys as the enemy, as you said before. But I think in terms of dose of reality, I think some of the workers realize, hey, listen, they're the CEOs of the company. I'm probably never going to make anything close to that. However, right. they still want their own slice of the pie. I just think that's more of a, a messaging tactic more right. than anything. Yeah, and separating messaging from yeah, and just outright crazy rhetoric from, from legitimate uh, terms is, is what we're going to be doing here in this. Uh, thanks so much, Michael Machinas. You can read about uh, what's going on in the automotive news. Thank you, sir. It appears another person will be charged alongside Matt DiPerno and former state rep Dyer Rendon for allegedly trying to gain illegal access to a voting machine. Michigan attorney Stephanie Lambert Juntilla facing multiple charges, including undue possession of a voting machine, according to the Oakland County Circuit Court's website. Juntilla's legal team is accusing Muskegon County Prosecutor D.J. Hilson, who was appointed by Attorney General Dana Nessel to investigate what they believe to be a statewide plot to gain access to voting machines. Um, Jutila's team is charging Hilson, uh, or is accusing Hilson of misconduct. Travel website Livability, alongside Applied Geographic Solutions Company that tracks demographics, uh, lists three Michigan cities in the top 10, uh, in their top 10 of 100 places to live. Um, Ann Arbor, 65, Rochester Hills, number 20, and uh, Troy is number 10. Now, there was a uh, list of 100 data points they used as criteria. And they only listed cities with a median home value of 500000 uh, To be fair, I believe this list was actually made before news came that uh, Home Depot in Troy is bringing back hot dogs, which I think might have uh, bumped them up a bit. <laughs> the Fitz Rating Agency downgraded the United States credit rating from AAA, the best possible score, down to AA+. Due to a, a multitude of factors, mostly political infighting, uh, the debt ceiling showdown, and uh, they even mentioned the unrest they witnessed during the January 6th riot on the Capitol. Bert Herzog, founder of Executive Wealth Management, discusses on All Talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz. Fitch, they announced on Tuesday that it has officially downgraded the U.S.'s long-term foreign currency issuer default rating. So we've been downgraded. Basically, our credit rating in the United States has been downdated from uh, AAA to, what is it, AA plus, whatever. They, they say the downgrade reflects the expected fiscal deterioration and the nation's heavy debt burden. What I found very interesting after this came out, because uh, they're watching the economy as it is today, that the Biden White House came out and said, this is all Trump's fault. <laughs> that was Janet Yellen's Duh. blaming MAGA <laughs> Republicans for the chaos that they have spread for this downgrading in the U.S. credit uh, from Fitch. Yeah, well, a downgrade can be a big deal. It can have a big impact on the U.S. economy, global markets. Uh, it can affect ordinary Americans. How so? Let's bring in Bert Herzog, founder of Executive Wealth Management. Hey, Bert, how are you? Gentlemen, how are you? Thank you. Good. Uh, AAA to AA plus doesn't sound so bad, but a downgrade's a downgrade. Uh, what What is your take on 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 why this happened and its impact? Well, it is a concern. Uh, similar to 2011, we waited uh, until the very last day to get a budget deal done. So Fitch uh, kind of uh, looked at this polarization as a problem, 
and we just seemed to not be able to get our house in order. The uh, uh, raising of the uh, the debt is uh, really to the point where we need to have some answers. And it is a polarization of how we address this issue. And that's what the, the big concern is, is that we don't seem to want to manage that debt in a more efficient manner or in a manner that everybody can get uh, on the same page. And when that happens, it tends to make people nervous about being able to cover your debt. So does a downgrade uh, send us a message that will actually get us to work together? Because polarization seems like it's here to stay. Yeah, it is. And that's the what happens in a democracy. But the problem is, is the, the way we go about it. We wait to the last moment to get a deal done. Look, uh, at the end of the day, the U.S. dollar is the current the currency of, of choice in the world. It is not going to be replaced, despite what you're reading about as far as China, as far as BRIC. It still is the currency of choice. We have the ability to cover that debt by raising taxes. So there's two conflicting philosophies out there. One is raising taxes, making sure that we cover this debt, maybe slowing down the economy long term. And then the other is keeping taxes lower, being more competitive, making sure that we increase the real standard of living. And over time, as it has shown, it increases tax revenues. But the bottom line is you still have to have a budget. You still have to stay within your means. You still have to make sure that you control the spending. And both parties, both parties are guilty of not doing that, as we have seen in the past four to six years. That is true. Both parties are to blame. But you look at Joe Biden's spending. Right now it's running 25% of GDP. Historically, it's 20%, which is also still too high. But 25%, uh, that seems absurd. Is that enough to, to, to that alone uh, be a reason for Fitch to downgrade our credit rating? Oh, certainly. And, and that they, they had several bullet points on why they downgraded, and that was one of them. Uh, we cannot continue this spending. We just are not capable of managing our debt long term uh, if we continue this deficit. And I do think that uh, we need to have a process that's going to address it from both angles. I'm not a big proponent of raising taxes, but if that is needed, it is needed. We can't put ourselves in a position to uh, put our currency at risk long term. However, I do feel that the more appropriate way to handle this is to reduce spending. We have to figure out a way to reduce spending or to be more competitive with our spending. We had a bill that just passed that uh, will was a good step towards that and I do believe that uh, uh, they've kicked the can down the road a bit but in 2024 hopefully we'll be able to be in a situation where spending will be more under control and then our credit rating will increase there is no doubt that uh, uh, the United States government debt is the currency of the world Warren Buffett just bought 10 billion dollars of US Treasuries that's not going away. But if we have these rating problems, the cost to cover that debt will go up. You saw the 10-year just bounce up to 4.08, and that's the highest since November. So I do think that uh, we need to be concerned. 
Well, I think you you nailed it. I think we've got to really take uh, control of our spending. You know, we already mentioned that 25% of the spending, you know, as a share of GDP, but the budget deficit, Joe Biden comes out a lot and says that he's drastically reduced the deficit, but right now it's at 6% of GDP. That's twice as high as a normal average. And that's not under Donald Trump. That's under Joe Biden. Uh, and I know there's no both doubt. parties to blame about this. But it, do you see any hope that spending is going to be reduced? I don't see an effort by this administration to do that. I would totally agree with that. This administration has an agenda, be it social spending, be it uh, energy uh, uh, change and, and getting us away from energy independence, be it climate control. It's just a spending agenda that, unfortunately, is going to continue to put pressure on that deficit. And I do think that we need to have a change in how we go about handling that uh, uh, budget. And hopefully what just happened here recently will be a push towards that. I do think that they'll uh, come up in 2024 after the elections. Let's hope that they have some sort of consensus that we're all fed up with this and that we need to make sure that we hold our Congress accountable, hold our administration accountable, because it's only going to impact the working men and women in this in this country, because prices are going to go up. Uh, interest rates are going to stay inflated. Your credit rating, as it goes up, increases the cost of goods and services, because the world is going to demand a higher interest rate to cover that debt. Does this also impact the global markets? It does. Uh, it, it certainly is right now uh, the U.S. markets, and I think it's temporary. This was a good excuse for the markets to pull some profits off the table. If you look back to 2011 when this happened, it was a temporary pullback, but it's still a concern, and the global markets are going to question the United States' ability uh, to pay back its debt. This deficit needs to come under control. I believe what we should be doing is trying to grow the economy. I think we keep the growth rate at above 3%. Let's stay competitive. Don't copy the European model. Hmm. Let's make sure that we increase tax revenues so that we can manage that debt combined with effective cost-cutting and spending limits uh, that we put in place for our, uh, our government and our economy and our social programs. Well, we certainly hope that it's not, as some experts believe, much easier now to default on our debt after this credit downgrade. Uh, hopefully that's not the case. and We do have fix the core problem, which is the overspending of the federal government. Always appreciate you coming on the program. Bert Herzog is the founder of Executive Wealth Management. Bert, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. You too. Have a wonderful day. Uh, it is concerning. Listen, I, I, you, we talked about the polarization here, Kevin. And the, the fact that Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, came out yesterday and she said that MAGA Republicans are responsible for this downgrade because the economy is so much better now under Joe Biden than it was under Donald Trump. And Fitch is only looking at the numbers under Trump and not looking at the current. It's just a whole bunch of, I go, what's a good word? Malarkey. I think malarkey. that's what Joe Biden would say. Bunch of malarkey. Get on the same page on the deficit, Republicans and Democrats, please. The hype train is real. We'll talk about it next as we get ready for JR Morning. It's First Thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. All right. We are uh, heading down the home stretch here into JR Morning. The crew's here. Nick Roddy, Lloyd Jackson, Guy Gordon. And uh, did everybody stay up late to watch the uh, 
Dorian Thomas Robinson, Zach Wilson uh, quarterback showdown last night. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, <laughs> the Hall of Fame game. You know, it's it's funny. I, I feel like the preseason has a very distinct like ebb and flow, right? You get the Hall of Fame game, and you're all excited because football's back. And then by the end of the first quarter, okay, I, I'll wait until the Lions first game. Then you're all excited because here comes the Lions. Uh, you watch a series like, okay, I don't need to watch this anymore until uh, until the actual regular season. Well, look at the excitement of the Lions yes. already. The hype train is real. Sold out Ford Field for the oh, first no. time in history. Yes, season tickets. Are you kidding me? That's right. Yeah, and you know Dan Campbell's been talking about those uh, uh, that hype train, and I think we've got actual metrics to show it's real. And by the way, I don't I don't want to jinx them. Yeah, but at least Ford Field will be able to keep the lights on, and that's better than what they could do last night in Canton. Right. All right. Now <laughs> third third quarter, it's like who turned out the lights? <laughs> well, here's my question: If the lights go off in the in a stadium. In the third quarter of a preseason game, and nobody was tuning in to see it, did it actually happen? Uh, nobody well, was tuning there, in anyway. Right. Yeah. The people there knew it happened. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? They probably <laughs> thought the game was over because, you know, the starters <laughs> didn't even play. I, I Well, at least the, the, the quarterbacks. I don't know. To the their credit, they got the power back on a lot quicker than what we experienced here in Michigan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, or that uh, Super Bowl that one year. I, I think it was after, I think Beyonce, uh, she. After the halftime show, she shot oh. the lights out. It was the uh, Ravens versus San Fran, I think, the Harbaugh Bowl. Yeah. Am I remember that correctly, Nick? Yeah, I think it was in New Orleans, right? Ooh, like <laughs> spooky. The home of voodoo. Yeah. So, like you said, Guy, the, the Lions sold out season tickets uh, for the first time. They said Ford Field history. Rod Wood said probably in team history. They don't, yeah. <laughs> they don't go back to before. They didn't keep records before the Silverdome. But uh, now what they have to do is they have to deliver a uh, they have to deliver a uh, a winner for this fan base or else that wait list is going to shrink pretty darn fast. <laughs> and uh, you know Nick 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 Roddy and I were uh, inside um, Ford Field back when we ran the Lions the 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 last time they won uh, or they made the playoffs, the wild card. They didn't win the division. They made yeah, the playoffs, the wild card. And that was the year that Matthew Stafford led them to a whole bunch of come-from-behind yeah. victories oh, at home. Year. Yeah. And, man, those post-game shows, Nick, I'm sure you remember, those post-game shows were rocking. And, you know, this fan base deserves winners so much because, you know, even through, you know, even through the Millen Man March, 0-16, some people, you know, stop going. But, it didn't take much to bring them back. No, because if you're a dedicated Lions fan, listen, we've all suffered for a long time. Right. And, you know, for us to still be on the bandwagon, we deserve it. You know, now the newcomers who who come on when the Lions start winning, that's different. But we've yeah. we've been there from the beginning. Right. And I think I think you everyone's seen too many romance movies where if you just where if you just suffer and, and hang out, <laughs> you will finally get what you deserve. <laughs> But yeah, the the hype train is real. Um, what I would say is, uh, don't panic after week one. You know we're playing the dynasty. That's we're right. We're playing um, the heir apparent to Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes in Kansas. You know, give it a give it a few weeks before um, you start panicking. If, if you know if they if they don't get off to that, I'll be start. happy if they just give a good showing. You know, I yeah. want them to win, of course. But if they just give a good showing, that's you know that lets me know that we're going in the right direction. Right. So we'll see. Um, 
You know, I'm 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 still not quite ready to let my guard down, but uh, yeah, a little more optimistic. I get suckered every year, but yeah. So uh, <laughs> yesterday, well, you know, and Lloyd, you got the jinx. So you know, <laughs> I don't I, say too much. <laughs> here's what I want to hear. I want you. I want to hear you say. Um, I think Justin Fields is going to have a great year. Yes, he will. I want you to say Kirk Cousins is going to have a great will year. Be great, yeah. And Jordan Love will make. Uh, Green Bay, forget all about Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yes, all of that, all there of that, and the, all of that more. Uh, so yesterday, of course, uh, I, I, at the beginning of the show, I said it would have been uh, a, a historic day if it wasn't the third time in four months it happened. Donald Trump uh, showed up in court to plead not guilty to accusations he tried to overturn the 2020 election. I actually think that this is going to be his most politically advantageous. Um, indictment because he can kind of play that narrative. We've heard him. We've heard him say it before. Oh, they're not indicting me. They're indicting you. I, I'm just in the way. And one of his people came out the other day and said, uh, "We're not fighting for for Mr. Trump. We're fighting for the American people." Yeah. And they can really pound that narrative because you know he's not going to admit that he's that that the stolen election claims were were BS. Mm-hmm. He's going to keep saying, "Oh, look! See, they're trying to—they're trying to uh, the, silence me. I'm fighting for you, no matter what. I'm not going to stop." What you said just matters now. He could go into court, and this—we heard this yesterday. Yet another suit was thrown out. We'll talk about this a little bit yep. later. Yet another suit was thrown out, saying we need to rerun the 2020 election. It was thrown out not because of the merits of the case that the the plaintiffs were bringing, but because they said these folks don't have standing, or it's a moot case. Yeah. And so the the, the election deniers keep saying, "We haven't heard the merits of the case yet." And they're right. The one thing that Trump isn't saying, I was right, and I'm going to show you I was right in court. Right. Why doesn't that, to some degree, get more attention and say, you know what? If, if he had something to prove, this is his opportunity to prove it. Bring in, bring in your, bring in John Eastman, bring in Rudy. Let them prove what they've been saying right. all along. That's right. Why is nobody saying that? Instead, you got Kevin McCarthy saying, "Well, you know, Democrats challenged elections." He said Hillary Clinton challenged elections. She didn't because she conceded twenty four hours later. Yeah, but yeah, that's one of the little elements that seems to be missing here. And we'll, we're going to be talking also about the Hunter Biden thing. Uh, that was an interesting transcript that was released yesterday as well. I got them all fired up before the show. <laughs> You won't want to miss it. See you in a bit.